This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. James chapter 2, James chapter 2, we're going to kind of camp there today. Um, And then while you're turning there, let me make just two really quick announcements. Um, One would be this right here um, is kind of the summer schedule. Things change up around here during the summer. and We do that strategically because every family has uh, rhythms that they go through and you should build into your life kind of rhythms of rest. Um, and, and so hopefully you do that through worship in the, in the uh, you know, coming on Sunday morning and we rest together and we worship together. Um, but during the summer, many people take vacations, including our RC leaders and leaders to go through uh, this, this month. I'm, I'm going to be taking time with my family and resting. And so Pastor Wayne and different uh, elders here are going to be leading in different ways. We're doing some cool stuff this summer, panel discussions and there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff. People inputting um, from all different voices. It's going to be really cool. But we're doing a summer staycation. So if you're in town, I would encourage you starting uh, July, June 14th, we're going to be doing in the Learning Center, just opening it up for families to hang out, eat together, pray together, sing together. There'll be a bunch of different things happening through the summer. And so it will be, there won't be childcare because it will just be family friendly. And we want not just families with kids coming, you know, single, married, uh, young, old, everybody come together um, and just be together as a family. And then we're also doing book clubs and that information is in here. Also, um, hopefully it's more than just this week, but there's signups in the back for a dance uh, troupe, right? Club, dance, some, some dance, see Dominic and, 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 uh, if there's more information, hopefully there's more than just today's signups, because I know people that weren't here today will, will want to sign up. But if you want to sign up and ask her some questions, it'd be a cool time to get uh, a part of that, that uh, group there. So, all right, so we're in James chapter 2. One of the things that has been, uh, is hard for me as we're rolling through a book like Acts is to not pause on points that I think are extremely important and to just dig into them. That makes it hard for me because I know Wayne, Wes, probably feel the same thing when you're preaching. You hit a point and you're like, this could literally be the whole sermon. But if I, if I spent all day on this, I wouldn't get the big picture in and we would be flying over some of these, these, um, some of these uh, points in order to get to the big picture, to get the main point in. Um, and so as we've been going through the book of Acts, there is a driving point that has been in every, ta- in every text, in every, uh, every part of the Scripture, even if we haven't kind of uh, camped on it over and over again, but there has been this ongoing point. Uh, one would be, I think we have to step back often and kind of go, what is... What is the burning question not just of this verse or not just of this book but even just the new testament we're going to talk about that um as we look at the book of acts i I want us to remember before jesus dies he prays the last prayer that he prays he prays that 
his children would be one as he and his father are one, as they are one. That we, as his disciples, would be one, one people. He prays for this unity. And then in Acts, as we started in it from the very beginning, we, he, we see Jesus ascending to be with the Father, and he's telling him, wait for the Spirit to come, because he's going to receive power, and this power that I'm going to give you, is gonna be, you're going to receive this boldness to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then you see the day of Pentecost, you know, next Sunday, actually June 4th, is on the church calendar, if you will, the historic church calendar, is, is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is this day in which we kind of look at that moment in which the Spirit falls and all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people are now being brought in. That the gospel is being declared in many languages and it's going to the ends of the earth. And all through Acts, you're seeing this church going forth and it's becoming this whole new kind of people, right? Acts chapter 2 shows this kind of shalom, if you will. I think this is kind of a direct answer, an immediate answer, if you will, to to Jesus' prayer that they would be one. He prays this before he dies. He dies. He rises again. He comes and reveals himself. He ascends and he goes to the Father. And as he's going, he's telling him, this is what you're gonna, how you're going to live. And then you see immediately as the Spirit falls, kind of an answer to Jesus' prayer in Acts 2. 42 says that they all lived like in one accord. They all had all things in common. They were devoted to the Lord's teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together. They ate together. They were generous. They sold all that they had. They lived in unity together. You see this oneness. And we talked about it as we hit that text, that when you read a verse like that, you almost put that in fantasy land. And go, that's cute and all. But there's no way we could live that way. Right? Even when we think about that kind of unity, we, we, we put it off in fantasy. That that's an impossible task. And it ends up breaking apart. You end up seeing it break apart. Ananias and Sapphira, right? They, they're not going to sell all their had. They're going to they're hold it all in. They're going to they're hold part of it and give some of it. So they have the perception that they're all in, but they're not all in. We saw these stories unfold. We saw the, 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 the Hellenist uh, widows not being taken care of. And so voices start rising up and they have to make adjustments so that all peoples are being careful. That unity in this is important and all throughout scripture when the gospel is declared there's this ongoing picture that the bible paints that we are one in christ there's a picture it's a beautiful picture when you paint it i had a somebody come and visit uh who is a, a professor, I get to go and some, uh, to seminary class, Mike Goheen was there, and he brings people once in a while to come visit us who come from out of town, and he came and kind of sat in the room with us and worshiped alongside of us, and when I went outside, I, I talked to him, and he said, he said something really awesome to me. He paid, he's like, man, it's so amazing to see in one room, black, white, 
Hispanic, all nations, all tri- you know, Asian, whatever, whatever, all nationalities, young and old, rich and poor, men and women. It's so amazing to see them all in one room together. And the picture of it is so beautiful that he was captured by it. Right? It's hard not to. And you see this happening uh, when people start to step back and they look at the beautiful picture that Scripture paints, this beautiful picture of unity of the body of Christ and the people of God. And if there's anything that's easy to pick apart, right, is when somebody steps back and they go, Jesus talks about unity a lot. He talks about people living as one a lot. But you, you really have a hard time kind of taking it out of this reality of it just being kind of this picture, this fantasy, when you ask this question, and I, I won't make us answer it because I think it's kind of rhetorical. Uh, how is the church doing at living this picture out? When I say the church, I'm not just saying here, but I am saying here, right? The people of God living in unity together is an ongoing struggle, an obvious brokenness. There are huge fault lines that we tend to ignore. It is the elephant in the room that we have decided, the church has decided to talk about the picture and ignore the elephant. We've done it. We split off as the church, and I say big C, I'm not just saying us, but I am saying us, we're a part of it. We split off. You could walk into most churches and immediately pick out what brings these people together. Oh, this is the old people's church. There's a few token young people who have to go, right? Or this is the young people's church, young professionals, they all go here. And then anybody who wants to be around those young professionals, they go too. But this is their church. Oh, black church with that one white guy who wants to be black, you know? (laughs) Right? That's me. That was me. I was the token white guy in the gospel choir. It was me. It was me. I'm not joking. That was me. (laughs) Or the white church with a few minorities that go that really want to be kind of involved in and around that majority culture, integrated in. Or the rich. They have their churches. You know to go there, you got to make money. And you're thinking, oh, maybe it's just me. You're sitting there going, I wonder how much the tithe is in this place, right? (laughs) Or the poor community. Where we can come together and kind of, you know, we all know we're in this together. We're poor. We don't have a lot. But we got each other. We got family, you know. Men, women, 
the list could go on and on, but the reality is you don't have to be that like discerning to walk in and kind of immediately pick out what brings these people together. And as we're looking at the church, it's one of those things that gets highlighted, I think, most when in our culture everything becomes so polarizing. The reality is everything in the world around us right now is more polarized than it has ever been, and it's, and it's, only, getting, it's only getting worse. It is hard to find a middle, like you are being forced to pick a side. And the reality of that is the church then in these times loses a lot of its voice to call people to unity because they're like, you guys should stop talking because you haven't been in living in unity for a long time. Church is struggling. The church is struggling. And we don't have to be that prophetic to know that we're struggling. The Bible declares over and over again, we've seen it in, an act, in Acts. This is not just an undertone. This is like a main theme. A vision that the gospel creates a family out of all peoples. Now this is really loud in Acts because people, if they're not liking something, it's, it's that Christ is alive they're going to fight against Christ's resurrection big time. Like They're like, no, he's still dead, right? They're not going to want to believe that he's alive and that they killed him. They're going to fight against the resurrection. And the evidence of that resurrection, that he's still alive, is that his people of all nations and all tribes and all tongues and all peoples, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, are coming in and they're being made one. They're being made this new family. So not only are we one in Christ, that oneness in Christ is made up of very different people. Not just one kind. Now, when you have this vision of this, you have to ask the question or you have to ignore the question, right? How well do we... Or do I, or do we embody that reality of it being made up of all kinds of people? You're forced into asking that question. Otherwise, you could just ignore it and go, eh, you know, I got other important things. How well do we embody this? The interesting thing is when, when I, I walked out and was having the conversation with this professor and we had great conversation, just saying how incredible it was to sit in this room. I had a totally different vantage point, and I kind of threw, uh, if you will, uh, water on his fire for what a beautiful picture, right? He's saying, what a beautiful picture, and I said, yeah, as beautiful it is as it is, you're seeing Sunday where everybody's sitting and singing, and you've missed the absolute painful fault lines that we get to enjoy in every RC if you go in every conversation where we are in every Facebook page where we're like I go to church with that person oh dear Lord 
I hope I can befriend them. <laughs> but then I got to see them on Sunday, and they're like, why aren't you liking my posts anymore? <laughs> that you can't, you can't get away from the fault lines. That's why it's beautiful when you talk about it, but when you really start drilling into it, this kind of life becomes painful. That's why you're not living in it. It's not because it's easy. It's not because it's beautiful. The reason you're not living in it is because it's hard. The reason why we go to churches where everybody looks like us and sings the music we like and, and has the same social status and looks the same way is because it's hard. You don't drift into this. You don't just accidentally become this. It costs everything. It costs everything. And that conversation has to be had. It has to be the conversations that we're having. Because, this is not my quote, I wish that it was, but I was sitting in a, in a class and professor said something as we were wrestling through these times. He said, the burning question of all the New Testament is how are the people of God going to live as one in Christ? You can't read one book in all of the New Testament, any of the epistles, any of the letters that, they, that the apostles wrote to the different churches. You can't read one book and not see that what they're addressing is divisions in the church is separations that are happening is is problems in which they're believing things that are off and so they're fighting with one another so much so that peter who we just we just uh uh Wayne went through like 80 verses with Peter of his vision, right? Uh, Peter, who, who has this vision of all these animals, and he say, take and eat, and he goes, and he, like, he sees for the first time that Gentiles can come in. He's like, man, I, now I know. I love that when he preached that. Now it's not just here. It's not just a biblical vision. Now I know. And Pastor Wayne uh, talked about that. It wasn't just like, I know this, because I heard Jesus say this. Now I know this. Even Peter, who has that moment where he's standing there and saying, everybody, listen, the Spirit fell on everyone. Peter is sitting in a room, eating with the Gentiles, and sees his, his boys come in, sees those of the circumcision party come in, and Peter, this is just, you know, a little bit later, goes over and is chilling with them. Paul comes in, and instead of just going, ah, oh, you know, he just likes hanging out with his boys, he confronts Peter in front of the whole church. For what? For leaving the table with the outsider and going and sitting with and eating with the people he's more comfortable with. I'm going to tell you, that, that's a whole other level of confrontation, right? Where you walk up to somebody and say, you're walking outside of the gospel. That's what Paul said to him. You're not living in step with the gospel. The burning question of the whole New Testament, if you are willing to look at it, is how are we going to believe that this biblical picture, this vision of one new people, this 
all nations, all tribes, this, how is it going to, because what we're calling people into is a biblical vision, but that biblical vision has massive fault lines. How do you live that way? Here's my question. Please don't elaborate for hours, but I would love to hear what you all have to say because I do love you a lot. Why do you think Scripture talks about unity so much? Somebody give me a fast answer. Some few of you. What's that? The answer to sin, what would you say? Nothing functions when it's split. Yeah. It's a huge problem. It is the biggest problem that we have. Every book of the Bible is going to talk about it. Every New Testament book is going to talk about it. Why? Because it knew, God knew, Scripture knew, the apostles knew, this was going to be our issue. But you know what we want to do? We want to make our relationship with God personal. So what we've done is eliminate the burning question and say, let's not talk about our relationship. Let's just have a good relationship with Jesus. Let's make our relationship personal. That way, I can love Jesus and not have to love others. That way, I could just come, sing a few songs, hear a good message. I don't have to be in community. As long as me and you are good, Jesus, and I'm going to heaven, I'm good. The reality is, there's no relationship with God. There's no loving, intimate relationship with God apart from loving your brothers and sisters. You can't say you love God if you don't love others. You can't. I didn't make that up. That's 1 John, just so you know. I had somebody come up to me in the grocery store who had missed church for a while. And they came up and saw me, and you could tell they were like, oh, Lord, can I get out of here? I don't want to see this guy. I said, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Sister? How you doing? She's like, oh, pastor, hey. I know I haven't been to church for a while. I didn't even ask her. She just immediately jumped into, I know I haven't been to church in a while. I said, oh, yeah, no, it's cool. It's all good. I haven't been to church for a while, Pastor. I just, I'm going to be real honest with you. Yeah, that'd be good for once in your life. That'd be great. I'm going to be real honest with you. My relationship with Jesus is better than it's ever been in my life. I said, that's awesome. She said, I love Jesus so much, I just cannot stand his people. That's ex word for word what she said. I have a better relationship with God when I'm not around his people. Oh yeah, you may not be like, you may, you may be theologically astute enough not to say that because you know how antithetical to Scripture that is, but you've thought it. You've believed it. Some people just say it, right? The reality of this is what she needs to know is that relationship is possible. That's like saying to me, Hey, Aaron, I really like you a lot, but I can't stand your wife. 
uh, you don't like me. Period. That's just it. You don't. You got beef with my wife, you got beef with me, right? That's the issue. That relationship is so tied that you cannot separate God from his people. You can't separate your love from God for God from his people. And that is American Christianity. That is the definition of what Christianity has become. Go to church, sing a little bit, pay your tithes, read your word, do a little prayer here and there, have a close relationship with Jesus. But they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. That's how they'll know you're a disciple. We've changed the measuring stick because it's easier to measure our relationship with God based upon how much we read, how much we give, how much we attend, how much we do all these things. What would someone say about your Christian life if they judged it all based upon your love and relationships with other people? If they said, man, that's a really good Christian. How do you know? They forgive, they love, they repent, they enter into the mess and brokenness of people's life. They care for those who are far off. This reality pushes us into how do we live this way? James chapter 2, let's get there fast because I already took way too much time. And I got some more questions for you and I already wasted. I was worried about y'all talking too much and I, I'm, the, I'm the problem. We all know this, okay? James chapter 2. But I got the mic and you all just need to listen this morning. James chapter 2. If you're there, can you stand with me? Because we're going to read this together. The reason why we stand is out of honor, respect for God's word. James 2. Why am I having struggle getting Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second? I know Hebrews, James. Here we go. I'm going through my Bible rap in my head. All right, here we go. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Remember as we're reading, this is God's word. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judged with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppressed you, the ones who dragged you into court? And they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you are, if you really fulfill the, the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced by 
convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Paints a picture that's not just this picture. We all live as one in Christ. It doesn't just paint the picture of all kinds of people come into it. It actually starts drilling down into different realities. What does it take for us to live this way? Rather than just painting a picture, what does it take for us to live this way? Not just saying, hey, we're all one in Christ. There's no Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. We're all one in Christ. What does it take to live this way? The reason why I picked James 2 is because I had to pick one out of all the New Testament. It's the, I could have gone to any book in all of the, I could have drilled down forever. But why this one? Because it forces us to not just wrestle with the fantasy, the vision, the declaration of it, and it pushes us into an actual thing that could happen and does happen. First of all, in order for this to happen, we have to have right, and I put the word right theology, but we could just say right beliefs. I, I would prefer to say theology just because it adds a little more conviction to it. Maybe just saying right conviction is better. You have to have a deep-seated conviction that this is not just something we should talk about, but we should live in, wrestle with, push ourselves into every day of our lives. Otherwise, hear me on this, you know that without a deep conviction of this, you will drift into something else. You will not drift into this. You have to have such a deep conviction. You see that in, in verse 2. Look, at it. Look what we just read. Verse 2 shows us that. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Um, verse 1, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Verse 1 starts with, if you will, theology. It says there's no partiality as you hold to what? This deep faith, this deep conviction, this deep understanding in the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Believing this is not just kind of a, a way to live. It's not just like this is rooted in our faith in Christ. The only way we can live this kind of thing out is if this is deeply convicted in because you will drift into something far more comfortable. Let me just... Let me just put it this way. The reason why, and I'll use the elders, the reason why us as elders are in this community is not because we drifted into it. It's because we intentionally embedded ourselves in a community and in a neighborhood that would force us into these realities. Because without it, I'll drift into something else. Meaning, I left comfort to go to conviction. 
I left comfort to go to conviction. Because without deep conviction that this is the way to live, you'll always live the way that's more comfortable because all of this doesn't just feel backwards, it is backwards if you live, well, it depends on what you call the right way, right? Uh, this is the right way, but it's the backwards way to the way we're living now. What world do you live in where when somebody walks into the world, walks into a room, and they obviously have money? I like that they used gold chains, kind of a little hip-hop reference there, right? Uh, Gold chains, nice clothes. Those are the ones that are going to walk into a room and immediately going to be elevated in our hearts and minds. Somebody else walks in and you can immediately tell that person doesn't have anything. In what world do we walk to the one who doesn't have something and show obvious attention to them? Who gets the front row, right? That's the question here. Who gets the front row? I I will tell you this. What James is saying here is people can tell what your theology is by who gets the front row. You can preach whatever you want, but who gets the front row? Who gets the attention? Who gets the care? Who gets the... Right? It's not that when somebody with gold chains or who has money, they come in, you go, listen, take off your gold chains. None of that in here. No glam in here, right? It's not that they get ran out. It's just that they don't get the attention that they would get with that in other places. While the one who walks in who is poor, where do you have them stand? This reality is backwards, right? This is backwards living. Let me, uh, I'm going to draw something, and, and, and there's warning here because I only have a little bit of time. I'm going to draw a flat line. We talk about the gospel being a flat line, right? And what this does is what we think of if, if we're, I think if we're off, We think of maybe socialism, the idea of like everybody should just be the same class, the same everything, same gender, same everything. We should all just be the same. We think sameness when we think flat line. That's not what the gospel is talking about. Matter of fact, there's very clear distinctions here. There's rich, poor. There's Jew, Greek. There's men, women. There's young, old. There's very clear distinctions. But when you talk about those distinctions, what you see in society is, and let's just put, we'll put, rich is always above the line in normal society. Poor is below the line. Say young, most of the time, above the line. This one, you know, I know people want to debate. Old seems to be falling below the line. They can't put in the work. They can't do the time. They, they, ha- or they can't do what they used to do. Men seem to have the positions of strength. Women often find themselves 
fighting for their position. Majority, culture, race, whatever you want to call it. Majority race, whether they like the word or not, they find themselves not having to fight for a position. They're just, they're just preferred. Minority, below the line. What ends up happening is inside of these contexts, you walk in, this is a different room that these people walk into than these people. It's just a different room. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean no one's rich, no one's poor, no one's young, no one's old, no one's a man, no one's a woman, or nobody's a part of majority. It doesn't mean that these are not distinctions what it means is these distinctions don't give us position identity purpose in the kingdom that in order for a rich person to come into the kingdom and you see this jesus calls a rich person what do they have to do they have to sell all they have they have to humble themselves they have to enter into they have to be they have to come humble themselves for in order for a poor person they seem to find themselves in scripture constantly being if you will the elite class if you talk about blessed are the poor the poor become a part of if you will the elite class why because constantly scripture is calling the poor to go don't look at your money as what gives you a position you should come into this seeing that all you have your riches are in Christ and you're getting to be lifted up into this kingdom right and that when the line gets flat young old they're seeing their need for each other they're humbling themselves they're raising up men are humbling themselves women are raising themselves there's there's this reality of go coming into the kingdom we're going I'm not going to look at myself as an outsider I'm going to see that in Christ I get to be inside of this community as a part of this family in this father right I'm going to see that I'm not an outsider but I'm I get I need to rise up but then those who come in who every other place in their lives are the elite and the respected and the ones who are always just comfortable they're the ones who need to walk into a room like this and go I need to humble myself. Can, can I just be real blunt with y'all? I'm, I'm this! I'm borderline. I'm in that, right? <laughs> Middle-aged. But I'm this. There's nothing, there's nothing in this category. But I will say to you, I need to not just be around these people. Why? Because I'll start to believe this is who I am. I'll start to believe that this is what makes me righteous. I need a community where I am called to learn from, to connect with, to be a part of, to hear from, to learn from, to be a part of this community. I need to live in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, that's why I, I, I'm convinced that all of the best thing for this, because I was raised 
where I would go and you would see those who are drug addicts and outcasts and they, they would make churches of just, I, I just want to be around people who are ex-drug addicts, outcasts. And I'm like, no, the best thing for you is to not just be around those people for the rest of your life. You need to understand what it's like to see your value amongst others. That Christ raises you out of those things. Church, as we enter into, if you will, let me call it this backwards living, you have to understand that everything in this calls us into a death to self. It calls us into a death to self. If I was to ask the, the, the American Christian, how do you choose a church? They're going to go, I go where I feel comfortable. Nobody's saying, I go where I have to act like Christ and die to myself. The realities of this are disturbing. Nobody's going to a spot where we're constantly being called away from our riches. Our age, the things that give us power, the things that give us identity, the things that give us power. I wish I could go through all this. I'm, not, I'm, sure I'm wrestling. How far do I go? Power, identity, purpose, all these things. Call us away from this and realize it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. The family of God helps us to see that. Identity, insecurities, all these kinds of things that are formed... This calls us away from. It calls us into a death to self. This kind of teaching, and I wish I had more time. In next service, I'm going to do better. Uh, you guys got the guinea pig version, right? This kind of, of teaching um, has direct implications. And here's, here's what I mean by this. Um, if you listened today, you should be asking questions like, uh, how do I do this? It forces you to wrestle with, am I doing this or am I not? Do I have such deep convictions that I'm constantly living and putting myself in a place where I'm dying to self and I'm loving God's people and I'm walking in unity with others and that means I'm walking on the fault lines. Believing that love will continue. How do I live like this? How do I do this? And the funny thing about this question is you'll never get a good answer for it except this. You need the Spirit. You need help. And the answer to this is you can't do it without His help. You can't do it without prayer, humility, staying on your knees, crying out to God. Like that answer is kind of like tricked you. Gotcha, right? You can't do it but you can commit to it. Believing that this continual death to self is going to put you in a place where you're going to start to see pictures of, hear me this, you're going to start to see pictures of the kingdom like you've never seen them before. You're going to start longing for heaven. You're going to start longing for new creation. You're going to see pictures of the kingdom. You're going to go, that's heaven on earth. You're going to start to experience the realities. In the midst of you dying, you're going to start to see resurrection. You're going to see beauty amongst it. 
in the midst of living this way, you're going to start to experience the gospel in ways that you never have before. What are some practical things that you need to do? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Gather with like two or three people around you before you come and partake of communion. And try to be honest, like without judgment, try to be honest. What are ways? And if you're here to just watch and you don't want to talk, please, please don't feel like you're like, I'm just, please don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. <laughs> just sit there and listen. But gather together, and, and I want you to ask this question to yourself. And be honest with somebody around you. What are things you know you need to start doing to live like this? Be honest. Because it's going to sound like repentance. You're going to sound like someone who goes, you know what, I'm not doing great at this, but I need to, I need to start living these. God's been calling me into this for a long time, and I've been finding all these excuses, and I've been drifting into other things but here's some things practically that I need to do. It may sound like I need to stop giving attention to those who have a lot of money and I need to start, you know, I need to start putting my attention and serving those or maybe it's I need to start thinking, whatever it is, talk about that and then after, pray and then come take communion. The band's gonna sing, the tables will be open. There's no better way to end today than by taking communion because here's what happens at communion. The line is flat. We all come to the table hungry. You don't care how rich you are or how poor you are, we all get hungry. And the answer for that is the only way we can be truly satisfied, rich, poor, young, old, men, women, majority, minority, is that the only place we'll find satisfaction is in Christ. That's the only place. And we come to the table recognizing that. So turn to a few people around you, answer that question, pray as they sing, and then come and partake of communion. I love you guys. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.